do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 61. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. This week's podcast is the first of a series of four talking about the history of design and technology but not so much as a chronological history, that is, in this date this happened and in that date this happened. Yeah, there will be a bit of that, but more to hopefully give you a way of thinking about your history in design and technology alongside what might have been happening politically for your subject wherever you are. Obviously, I'm going to mainly talk about the English context because that's where I am and what I've experienced to give yourselves an overview and a thought and maybe a framework, whatever you want to call it, to maybe explore your experiences in design and technology and see how they might have influenced what's going on for you in D&T, how you teach it, how you research it, how you talk about it, write about it, whatever it is that you do in relation to design and technology. So this week's episode is going to be around the 1993 to 2004 period. That was my first period of teaching design and technology. And it was also at the time of the beginning of the national curriculum, which came in really around 91, 92. The second episode is going to be around 2004 to 2011, when we had disapplication of the subject in England, and also we had the Tomlinson report and the whole 14 to 19 agenda. Then 2013 onwards, although I realize I've missed two, de- two years out there, sorry, 2011 onwards, when the coalition government in England set up the National Curriculum Review. And then the final episode is really a right step back to pre-1993, when I was at university and also was a pupil studying design and technology. The way you divide your history up in design and technology might be different. Um, I've picked those for a couple of reasons, partly because they sit alongside my career in design and technology, some key dates for me. But also they happen to map for me along some policy interventions or things that were happening nationally. So I'm kind of combining those two things. What was happening for me in my career alongside what was happening in terms of policy and things around design and technology. These are my views. This is what I think. 
You might disagree, but that's absolutely fine. But the reason I think it's important for me, and maybe for you, to look back at your history and your experience of design and technology is because those things, I believe, in our history continue to be played out today. They continue to affect what we do in our day-to-day teaching, lecturing, writing, researching, delivering professional development or whatever it is that you do and I do in design and technology. That, that continues to be played out. Whether it's played out in a way that you're rejecting or doing the opposite of what you experienced because what you experienced you don't agree with or whether it's because that is what you believe and your beliefs have come from your experiences, I still think it's important. And I also think it's important to think about it if we're trying to change policy or change ideas about design and technology. Because all of that, to me, is lived and played out today. We cannot just say, well, that was in the past, that's been and gone, this is where we are. Because if we write new policy, whether that's at a national level, a school level, a classroom level, a department level, whatever it is that we do, we're all coming with our own histories and our lived experiences around the subject. And that will affect how we value the subject and what we see as the purpose of the subject. So that's the context. And that might be enough for some of you to think about around exploring your own histories in design and technology. But first I want to talk about in this episode then, that period from 19, probably 1992 to 2004. So for me in 1992, I'd just graduated, graduated from Brunel University. And while I'd been in my final years at university, we had begun to explore the new national curriculum that was being debated and written and the materials were being published. And in that first period, the subject was called technology and it brought together art and design, business studies, craft, design and technology, home economics, which included cooking and textiles and information technology. And at that point, it was compulsory for all pupils aged five to 16. Now, some people might say those are the glory days when all children had to do the subject, but I'll talk about that when I talk in the next episode about the period of 2004 onwards, about how we had that change from compulsory to a a non-compulsory subject for some children. So I began teaching in 1993. You might have not spotted the year discrepancy. I I went and worked in in Czechoslovakia and, and then the Czech Republic. I was there in quite a historic moment in that part of the world for a year. Came back and started teaching in 1993. Started teaching down in the Cotswolds. Uh, My first teaching post was an 11 to 18 school and the department I joined had received quite a substantial amount of money to develop the the, the buildings and the resources. And the head of department, my first head department, Mike Ashburn, in fact, Mike was my only head of department because my next post where I became a head of department. Um, Mike was a systems and control. He'd come from mechanical engineering in a background. If he's listening to this, I'm sure he'll send me an email and tell me where I've gone wrong. But he was leading on systems and control in terms of the material areas. So we were very much teaching by material areas. And I think that shaped my thinking. So I went in as resistant materials I did some systems and control and I also did some graphic products or as I started to call it, boring drawing. Now, it was a really difficult time trying to bring together these disparate subjects under one heading. And at the, at the early days, it was even more disparate, you know, because we had art and design, IT and so on all, and business is all as part of this, this, one, this one subject. And in those early days, the subject was formally called technology and design and technology was kind of a subset of that. 
If I've got that wrong, those of you listening, I'm sure you'll email me and tell me. But that's that's my memory of it. But very quickly, there was another national curriculum that came out in 1995. Now, that was partly based on recommendations from David Layton, who did a lot of work around values. And values was a really important part of the national curriculum at that period. Um, But the values were a tribute to to products. And there was a lot of work around um, social values, environmental values, uh, and so on. And and that, that really did quite underpin the curriculum. And if you look back to some of the early documents around the national curriculum, the, the, the use of, you know, the talk about values was, was very prevalent. And that, that heavily influenced my thinking about the subject. I mean, I know I do research about the value of d and I, I talk about it in a different way than David Layton and others were talking about it. But to me, it, it did bring to mind about the, the value decisions that, that we make when we're designing a product. And, and that was brought quite heavily into the subject. But what we were trying to do in those early days was how do you bring these disparate subjects together? What do you do to um, make a united department? Now, Carrie Pactor, who's a, a professor at Nottingham Trent, she did some work in the early 1990s um, as part of her doctorate looking at design and technology. And she she does talk about in her writing, and I'll put a link in the show notes, about, about each of these different sub-subjects, home economics, and even within home economics, cooking and textiles, and craft design and technology. Well, even within that, you've got three, craft design and technology. And then you've got systems and control, which actually was more than just electronics. It had mechanisms and structures within it. You've got all these disparate subject areas which we might now call material areas. It could be seen as silos. And people bring their own culture into that. And trying to bring those together was a real challenge. And for many, was it was quite difficult to, to manage. And, and even in those early days, you could see, as, as Carrie talks about it, this subcultural retreat, that those teachers who brought their culture of their subject, their material their way of thinking, their way of designing into design and technology didn't feel that they fitted. And there was a pattern that CDT kind of seemed to have the loudest voice um, or seemed to be given the priority, whether that was nationally or locally, it it sort of seemed to vary. And, And so some teachers kind of kind of withdrew and maybe found places elsewhere within the curriculum so so that was that was going on and but in my department I have to say Mike worked really hard to bring the department together and and we did have a lot of fun and it was a, it was a really great place to work and I, and I look back at that as I'm sorry for listening and you're from other schools where I've worked but I do look back and think that was one of my happiest spaces of, of working I did have the most phenomenally huge workshop in the department which which I love to have. And I was also relatively fresh out of university with ideas. And I'd come from Brunel, which was which is a great place of thinking about design and technology and the curriculum. But what we began to realise, so we were we had a, a school inspection in nineteen ninety seven. I think that sort of stuff was going on. I look back about the growing power of Ofsted, growing influence of Ofsted. And we were inspected in nineteen ninety seven and and much to our devastation we were identified as an area of weakness, development, I can't remember the language from those days, 
Now, there's pros and cons to being identified in an area of weakness. You become under spotlight. But equally, if that happens, you're kind of supported in developing. And I was working in a really supportive school with some great senior leaders um, that supported us as a team to work together. What I also had the advantage of doing or the opportunity to do at that point was I we advertised for a second department. It went nationally. Um, I advertised, I applied as a as an internal candidate. Uh, got the position. Uh, my external competition didn't get the job, but he did get a job in the department. So that was great. It was great to work with Tim, um, who was a food teacher. And what we then began to do is I then led on Key Stage 3. How do we bring Key Stage 3 together? And I was very heavily influenced by two curriculum projects that were happening at the time. One was the Nuffield Design and Technology Project, led by David Barlex. And the other one was the D&T Challenges work um, at the Royal College of Art, led by David Perry. And we managed to, in the department, buy those textbooks. And I, and I look now, and I, and I have to say... I've not really seen any better DNT textbooks come out since that period. And, and as I was preparing for this podcast, I, I looked up on my shelf and I I still have the Nuffield textbooks on my shelf. The Nuffield um, capability tasks and resource tasks, I've lost that file along the way. I think I've given that to somebody somewhere. But it's all available on David Barlett's and Torben Steak's website. And I'll put a link in the show notes. But I did give away the Royal College of Art books um so I, I have splashed out before I recorded the podcast I thought I've got to have those on my shelf and bought myself another set to remind myself I mean partly I'm sentimental I like to have a, a, a set of them but also to remind myself about what, what was so good about them and what was so good was the way they talked about design and that is the common aspect across all those material areas you use those materials in realising a design. You've done some design thinking. You've explored the context. You've, ex- you've, you've played around with concepts. You've come to a specification. All of those hit things happen across those material areas. And, and those two projects, for me, had that underpinning idea. And I, and I look back and I think, I'm not quite sure I was really thinking about that at the time about that it's probably only come out more since I've been talking to Eddie Norman about design thinking and listening to work by um, reading work by Kay Stables as well but but that did under underpin it and they, they had different ways both those projects had different ways about thinking about curriculum and design and technology but they did influence and they did shape and so what I led the department in thinking about is one of the common things that we need to be able to equip children to do to develop their design and technology capability And I've talked in a previous podcast, I think, about design and technology capability. If I haven't, I'll go back and check my back back catalogue and and I'll plan a podcast in the future to talk about it. So what we start to think about is, yeah, we had rotations, yeah, we had carousels, but how do you plan for progression? And so we built that into our programme and and we we built booklets. Kind of my heart slightly sinks at the idea about booklets in a way, but we we used the worksheets that were available from the Royal College of Art and and Nuffield. And we put together these booklets and, you know, and and we worked those together. So that that period of time really did influence my thinking about design and technology. And I realised that it was such a rich time. But I was also ambitious. 
So I had other things that were going on around me that I was really interested in, that I was wanting to develop. I wanted to develop my thinking about curriculum. Um, I wanted to get in- engaged in things about DT outside of my school. And I did have an opportunity quite early on um, to get involved in A-level examining. Now, you might all think, Craig, it's dead easy to get an examining these days. But I have to tell you, back in the mid-1990s, it was kind of a bit of a closed club, A-level examining. The, the numbers weren't huge. Um, but I managed, I I went along to an activity in Birmingham, not activity, a conference, and I got talking to what was Edexcel, that, that's who we used at the time. Um, I think I want to say that the exam specification was 90111. It was something like that. I've got a trophy somewhere from those days and we used to have a lot of fun going away examining. And I got involved in that. And at the time, Andy Bracken was the chief examiner. And, and I got involved and I went along um, and we would sit in a warehouse and we would we would mark and moderate for, for a weekend. And, and the first time I went along, the group of people were like really the the movers and shakers and some of the thinkers around design and technology. And it was so enlightening and empowering for me to be part of that. Um, again, you know, those key moments. What were your key moments that changed how you think? What did you read? What did you hear? What did you see? And I had the opportunity to bid to be involved in that really early CAD CAM project. I think that must have been around about 1999. I was one of the very early adopters of Pro Desktop. Um, You know, Andy Brecken sent me a CD in the post. Crikey, that's going back. Of the software. And we had a site license and we started to teach all the children this. You know, that was at this point, was kind of quite groundbreaking. And we had some CNC machines, like we got a Boxford, um, you know, and so all of that. That so then I felt myself, and as I look back now, I, I can think I felt myself moving more towards the technology side of it and leaving the design side. So, so these opportunities, these events have shaped how I view and how I think now. So I had that period of, being very clearly a materials teacher, I had the workshop, it was my space, that, sh- that shaped my thinking. But then realising and exploring curriculum for commonality and design thinking and creativity and those design skills were, were really important and central, so we developed curriculum around that. But then this external opportunity of the CAD-CAM project also really influenced and shaped and that, that did take off in a big way. I, I remember going to a, a big launch event I think it was at Warwick University, um, about that. So those are just some of my experiences from when I began teaching that really start to take me up to 2000. And then in 2000, I moved schools. I moved from Gloucestershire to Lincolnshire and ended up teaching at a 11 to 16 school in uh, the north part of the county. Really interesting school, much smaller than the school I'd come from. Uh, very old buildings, had been a secondary modern school. There was a grammar school in the town where I worked. And I brought some of those ideas to that school. Um, but it was it was a challenge um, to, to bring new ways of thinking about design and technology into a school that had, from some parts of the senior leadership, quite fixed ideas. I had a very supportive deputy head who could see what I was trying to do but there were some challenges with other members of the senior leadership about what design and technology was. And I think that was still playing out the history of itself as a secondary modern school. 
In fact, my husband and his friends both went to the grammar school and then would come to, I mean, this is well before my days of teaching in this school, would come to the grammar school for their craft lessons. Um, and just to give you an insight about how much stuff hadn't been cleared out in that department when I arrived, I found 1964 exam papers in one cupboard when I was having a clear out. So that time of graduating, thinking about commonality, design thinking, being pulled in the direction of technology, CAD-CAM, and then also moving to a new school where I had to, was almost very much a, a lone voice about changing the curriculum. A, a great department members, um, but you know, I was I was changing thinking. They they had been teaching well before the national curriculum, um, some of the colleagues, and, and they were really supportive. But trying to have those conversations as a new head of department was quite a challenge. So I think for me, some things got lost along the way. Different things took priority and all of that has shaped my thinking about design and technology. And along that, politically, we had a national curriculum in 92, 95. I think we had another one in 1999. And then around 2004, which was just after I left and moved down to Northamptonshire to teach, we had some big changes around this thing called disapplication, where it moved Design and technology moved from being compulsory from five to 16. So at the age of 14, some children could not continue, could choose and be supported in not continuing with the subject. So that's my history as an early teacher into my first leadership roles or subject leadership roles. You might want to do the same for yourselves, thinking about what happened for you. What were the milestones that happened while you were teaching and what was happening politically as well? I think taking a time to reflect on that and starting to see whether any of that is still lived out and played out in what you do and what you think about design and technology today. I'm hoping you might find that really useful as it maybe starts you to think if you're a teacher about what you're doing in the classroom and then also if you're involved in research or writing, how you're interpreting and seeing what's happening in design and technology today. As ever, thanks for listening and do feel free to drop me an email. I'll be releasing uh, the next three episodes over the next couple of weeks about my next parts of the history of design and technology through my own experience. You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.